Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 72. It's titled, Will a Robot Take Over Your Job? Two years ago, my family and I arrived in Los Angeles from an overseas flight from Tokyo. We flew in to LAX. We found our way down to U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Directly in front of us in line was a woman. She was wearing a Muslim hijab, a headscarf, and she pushed a cart with two large suitcases. When we reached the front of the queue, there was a sign that read, Don't cross the white line until it's your turn. Well, the woman thought it was her turn, and so she pushed her cart about five inches over the line. We were right behind her, so we moved up, and everyone behind us moved up. An immigration officer sitting behind a desk snapped at her to get back, to move back. She tried, but because the line had moved up a bit, there wasn't enough room. The officer yelled at her louder, and this woman still couldn't move back. We tried to edge back, but she couldn't get all the way back over the line. Finally, the officer, clearly frustrated, came around and literally just shoved the cart over the line. She knocked the woman backward. She stumbled and and fell into our arms. I mean, we caught her, and we were pushed back with the people behind us. Now, I don't know if you've been through immigration in the U.S., but there is a palpable sense of stress. At least that's been our experience. There's a high level of stress. There's, there seems to be distrust, a confrontational attitude at times. Not every immigration or customs worker, but just the atmosphere seems to be laden with tension post 9-11. Well, last June, on our way back from Norway and Sweden, we again flew in to LAX And the U.S. Customs and Border experience was very different this time. The line was short, and we were quickly directed to a computer kiosk where we scanned our passports, answered a few questions about goods we we had purchased overseas. The kiosk printed out a receipt, which we handed to a customs officer, and we exited the immigration area without saying a word to anyone. The experience was completely stress-free, particularly compared to our earlier experiences having gone through immigration. The kiosk cost $36,000 each and have cut U.S. Customs and Border Patrol wait times at Los Angeles Airport, LAX, by 30%. That means more passengers are processed through customs and immigration at a lower cost. In other words, productivity increased. For decades, information technology, robotics, and other forms of automation have been contributing to increased economic productivity. 
Now, traditionally, these capital investments complemented labor in that old jobs were replaced with higher-paying jobs, often to run the new machines. That's what factory automation often led to. You needed more highly skilled workers that understood the technology. You could get it back online when something didn't go well. But the new technology ultimately made the human worker more productive. That is no longer the case. Computers and other forms of robotics are now so advanced that they are almost perfect substitutes for labor. They don't make humans' workers more productive. They replace them entirely. The L.A. immigration officer who pushed the woman is not more productive at his job. His job was replaced. And in this case, the experience was more pleasant because of it. Google has been developing and testing self-driving cars for a number of years. These cars can be found driving the city streets and highways of Los Angeles and Austin. I've not seen one, but my understanding is they, they can do everything a real car can do. In fact, they're designed, I think by law, they have to have a passenger has to have some type of steering wheel, but I think the design of the cars is not to have any steering wheel at all. It's conceivable that within decades, most trucks and cars will be self-driven with no need for human input other than to choose the destinations. These self-driven vehicles don't make humans more productive drivers. They replace them as drivers completely. Now, in such a world, wages for delivery truck drivers, bus drivers, taxi drivers will fall, if those jobs even exist, because... Essentially, the automation will allow driving as a job to be done much more economically, which means the remaining drivers that that have jobs will essentially see their wages fall. I read a book recently by Jeff Colvin. It's called, it just came out, it's called Humans Are Underrated, What High Achievers Know That Brilliant Machines Never Will. And the book is entirely about this concept of how robotics and automation are taking over traditional jobs and what we need to do as humans to, to, to essentially compensate for it, what to do about it. If, if you're in, a, in that particular position, I know I look at my three children and wonder what they are going to do and, and try to give them some counsel. Here's a quote, though. That's in the book. It's by futurist Stoey Boyd, who is a lead researcher at the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I, I, I read Gigagom, G-I-G-A-O-M, research. And, and I've read their stuff before. I just, that, that's, a, that's a perfect example of something that I've read, but I've never heard pronounced, and so I just make up the pronunciation. But here's his quote. An increasing increasing portion of the world's population will be outside of the world of work, either living on the dole or benefiting from dramatically decreased cost of goods to eke out a subsistence lifestyle. Are robots really going to take over most jobs? That is up to us as consumers based on the choices that we make. Stoey Boyd really 
emphasize, or he does a great job of capturing the two choices. He talks about much of the world's population could be outside of the world of work because their jobs have been replaced by robots. At the same time, because so many jobs have been replaced by robots, costs for many goods and services have fallen or will fall dramatically. There's a paper that I'll link to in the show notes, or if you're a member of our Insider's Guide, I'll have emailed them to you. It's called Economic Possibilities for Our Children. It's by Lawrence H. Summers. He wrote it in 2013, and he captures a lot of the theme that we're talking about in this episode. Jeff Colvin quotes him in his book, Humans Are Underrated. Well, in this paper, there's, there's a table that Summers puts, and he shows the dramatic drop on an inflation-adjusted or real basis for many products and services. And particularly, what, I, what stood out was, was television sets. And so back in, I think it was episode 69, we talked about how middle-class wages were stagnating on an inflation-adjusted basis. And so the ability to purchase things, goods and services, has been more difficult for the middle class, partly due to the automation and robotics, jobs being replaced. But there are areas where real wages have actually increased if you measure it relative to, let's say, the price of television sets. You can buy way more television now than you could 20 years ago. So even if your wages stagnated, In some goods, clothing, some electronics, things are better. Yet, that can be little consolation if you actually don't have a job. One of the quotes by Lawrence Summers is, It may well be that given the possibilities of substitution, some categories of labor may not be able to earn a subsistence living. That's this idea that robots are not complementing workers and making humans more productive. They are replacing them. So what do we do about that? Well, probably the most important point that I took away from Jeff Colvin's book, he certainly emphasized how robots have become so much more advanced. I mean, they they literally can, will be able to do everything. And so the critical question is not what computers will have the capacity to do, but what will humans allow them to do? Here's Jeff Colvin's quote. What are the activities that we humans, by our deepest nature or by the realities of daily life, will simply insist be performed by other humans, regardless of what computers can do? In Tokyo... At many stops along the computer train networks, there are white-gloved attendants who quietly motion people with their hands not to fall off the edge of the platform. Now, I have not seen that in other subway systems around the world, but in Tokyo, they are. And they've actually, they do use these, these very specific hand motions and perhaps you wouldn't want to pay a higher train fare to support a human platform worker to keep you from falling off the edge of the platform. Now, I I admit, I I didn't grow up riding trains. So whenever I look down 
into the abyss where the electronic track are, I'm always a bit wary. Now, whether yeah, the, the human worker, that's a nicety. Tokyo doesn't need human workers to be there to provide some help on the train platform. It's not the most efficient thing, yet it is a nicety. But what about other areas? Would you pay more for a human doctor to deliver the results of your cancer screening rather than receive a printout from a kiosk? What about a counselor or a teacher or a massage therapist? Would you prefer a human or a machine? There is something that humans can do that machines never will. They can show empathy. The ability to discern what somebody is feeling and to respond appropriately. It's not a question of being efficient. It's a question of showing empathy. And we crave genuine empathy. But in an era where robots can replace humans in many tasks and will, the question is, will we be willing to pay more to hire a human because we want that human connection? We want to be able to experience genuine empathy. It appears that there's a survey that Oxford Economics Research did. It's called Global Talent 2021. They paired up with other research organizations and they interviewed human resource managers around the globe. And they asked them, what skills are going to be most in demand in the coming years? Now, the first one is, is, is pretty obvious and you would have thought that. Certainly technical skills or what they call digital skills. So the fast-growing digital economy is increasing the demand for high-skilled technical workers, quoting from the report. In particular, the emergence of social media is putting a premium on developing new forms of digital expression and marketing literacy. So technology workers are needed, but those that have some type of marketing literacy. But then the other three in-demand skills are, are more soft skills. They're not based on pure cognition in terms of being the smartest person in the room based on traditional, let's say, IQ tests. These are more social intelligence and, and some mental intelligence. Here's one, agile thinking. Here's from the report. In a period of sustained uncertainty where economic, political, and market conditions can change suddenly, agile thinking, the ability to prepare for multiple scenarios, is vital. To succeed in the changing marketplace of the future, HR executives also put a high premium on innovative thinking, dealing with complexity, and managing paradoxes. Not necessarily something computers can do well. Perhaps someday they will, but agile thinking, understanding paradoxes, where things are, are not necessarily black and white, but shades of gray. The third is interpersonal and community communication skills. The idea that to be co-creative, to brainstorm skills, to build relationships, team building skills. And then the fourth is global operating skills. It says, reflecting the impetus of firms to expand in markets around the world, the facility to manage diverse 
employees is seen as the most important global operating skill over the next five to 10 years. So the ability, international business relations, understanding different cultures, sensitivity to other cultures. These are aspects of empathy, of concern to be able to discern the concerns of others and alleviate them. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I recently called American Express. I had a question I was looking at applying for a, a, a business credit card that I can get Starwood points. And I talked to the, the person that answered, and we had a genuine conversation. And later I read in Jeff Colvin's book how American Express in their call centers had stopped giving their employees scripts. They, they, they would allow them to resolve the problem in their own words. Now, I contrast that with, and I don't know if they still do this, but five or six years ago when you would call T-Mobile it was, it was just grating when I would call them because it was clear that they were reading from a script. They would, well, thank you, 
David, I think we can help you with this particular problem. And they would read off the problem. And, and it was so, and, and I'd call several times, and it was always the same thing. It was not talking to a human. Now, now robo, robots are getting better. Have you gotten a robocall recently and, and weren't sure whether it was a person or a robot calling you? And my, my trick is to, to not say something for a minute and see if they keep talking. But they've gotten much, much better. But there's still, there are aspects to being humans that robots will never capture. Colvin mentions empathy. He mentions storytelling. He mentions other areas that humans can excel at. And that appears to be what HR workers think are going to help workers survive, or essentially the the, the biggest demand careers going forward. They're not going to necessarily be cognitive skills. In fact, there's a paper written by Paul Baudry, David Green, and Benjamin Sand, it's called The Great Reversal in Demand for Skills and Cognitive Task. And what they found was the cognitive skills that you needed to perform work peaked in 2000. In other words, that was sort of the pinnacle in terms of the ultimate need to be smart in order to do your job. And since then, the level of academic achievement or knowledge you needed to do your job in terms of pure brunt, technical skills, mathematical skills, et cetera, has fallen. And what is going up, and I don't know if they say this in the paper, but according to Coleman, would be these, these softer skills, the ability to maintain connection, resolve conflicts, build teams, tell stories, be genuine, and show empathy. I've mentioned in earlier episodes how every time we buy something, we are sending a signal and this is a bottom-up process. Everyone is buying goods and services, and we will be the ones to decide by the signals that we send whether we want a human worker helping us or whether we want it purely automated. And it's not always easy to decide. I was recently at a Mexican restaurant in our town. And it was one of these Mexican restaurants where you go up to the counter and you tell them what they want. And then you go to the next person and they say, what kind of rice do you want? What kind of beans do you want? Well, as I was going up, one of the second person in line, well, the, the, the worker, so you had the person doing the tortillas and then you had the purser take, taking the order. And he was asking, he wasn't asking, what would you like? He was asking, Deeply personal questions. How was your day going, doing? What, what are you doing for a job? How are your classes? I live in a college. How are your classes going? I didn't want to have a personal conversation with this employee. So I pretended, and I'm embarrassed about this, but I pretended to look at my phone. I mean, I was looking at my phone. I focused on my phone because I did not want to have the conversation. So he asked me what I wanted. I told him, and I went back to looking at my phone. So then at the end of the line, the worker was there, and I, I had had this ongoing discussion with this particular Mexican restaurant because I want mixed vegetables, and, and every time I go and add mixed vegetables to my salad, sometimes they charge me $3, sometimes it's free. So I started having a conversation with the same 
worker about this. And then he said, are you such and such? Are you David Stein? And I said, yeah. And then I recognized him. I recognized I had actually met with him like a year ago because he is the son of a good friend of mine back in Ohio. And I had, had given him some advice regarding some entrepreneurial stuff that he was looking at. But then, then we had a connection because I knew him and we had, we had I, at that point, I guess I, I showed some genuine empathy in terms of where he was going for his next job and career and why is he working at this Mexican restaurant because he's a pretty smart guy. And last time I spoke to him, he was going to open his own little grilled, gourmet grilled cheese truck. But the, the point is, it's not easy to decide when you want human involvement and when you don't. But it's going to be our decisions to decide. Computers will be able to do everything. Ultimately, we need to decide what we want them to do, to do and what we want humans to do. And that is by the signals that we send every day. Because it does cost more to hire a human. At LAX, the kiosk, a human got replaced by a, a machine. Now, there are other places. When we went to Norway and went through immigration there, we actually had a conversation with the worker. She asked us why we were there, but not, be, not to check off a box. She was curious why a family that had no connection to Norway had shown up to go to Norway. And she, she pointed out that her name Stein means stone in Norwegian. And, but it was a conversation. And there are times when we've been through security, both in the U.S. and other countries, where they definitely showed empathy. On our way, on the same trip where we got pushed back with the cart in L.A., my daughter, we were going, we, had, we were flying from Seoul back home through Tokyo. My daughter didn't check her bag, and she had this ornamental sword that she had bought, which you can't carry swords through security. And the, the workers, the equivalent of the TSA workers in Tokyo, were, were very empathetic. They said, you can't do this. But then they met and, and talked about it, whether it was a way to get around it. They could see LaPro was clearly upset about it. But they handled it with a degree of empathy. Not, it wasn't, it wasn't this, it, we've gone at times through security in various countries and where there's something in our bag and, and we've gone up and pointed it out and said, no, you can't get near that. Don't touch it. Get step back. Well, they actually invited my daughter to, to, to come right by her bag and point out what the, where the sword was and things of that sort. So there's a way to do it, but we need to decide as, as consumers which way we want it. Now, in an era where technology and hyper-productivity is increasing efficiency, there are still gaps. There's still opportunity that can be found. We have some friends here in Idaho that are potato farmers, and potato farming in Idaho is hyper-efficient. It's being taken over by corporate farms. You need huge resources, and they just didn't have enough land to compete. So they sold their land, and they moved to, or in the process of moving, to Alaska. And I thought up in Alaska, they're, they're going to grow hundreds and hundreds of acres of farms. I mean, their typical potato farm in Idaho is over 1,000 acres. This year, they're growing 35. 
35 acres of potatoes, and we'll make a profit because it's not a terribly efficient area. In fact, they went to the John Deere tractor dealership and because their GPS on their tractor wasn't working. And, and it turns out that on top of the, the, the John Deere store was the beacon sending out the GPS signals that had never been turned on because the John Deere dealership had no idea what that was. Oh, well, that's what that is, they realized. And so they were able to get that working. But the point is there are still pockets that are not as efficient as they could be that you can still show empathy. This particular farmer doesn't have a middleman to sell his potatoes to in Alaska. He has going to go from store to store to sell the potatoes because that's how the distribution system works. So there are still pockets of, of where you can increase efficiency and still be human like he's doing there. So that's episode 72, Will a Robot Take Over Your Job? You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where you can sign up for my insider's guide. I'll email those show notes to you weekly. I'll also include in that insider's guide a summary article that captures the essence of each and every podcast episode. While you're at moneyfortherestofus.net, if you haven't signed up for my webcast on how to improve your investment performance, you can do so there. That webcast will be held September 8th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to look at what's a reasonable rate of return for your investment portfolio and how to boost that return. I'll also answer your questions on money, investing, and retirement. If you can't make it that night, go ahead and sign up and register anyway. I'll send you the recording for that. And if it's past September 8th, when you're listening to this podcast, then Go ahead, there anyway, moneyfortherestofus.net, you can sign up for the next webcast. Many of you are new listeners. When you listen, I just got a, a email from Sean, a listener, and he's been going backwards as he listens. In other words, he, he started on the most recent episode, and then he's slowly working backwards instead of starting at the beginning. I thought, hey, that's a pretty cool idea. And he's found that easier to capture the material working in reverse instead of going in the beginning and going forward. Another announcement, I just reopened the Money for the Rest of Us hub for new members. It was closed for new members for two months while they restructured and and improved the experience and the introductory experience for new members. So if you are interested in better investment performance, candid answer to your money questions, and a trusted financial mentor to help calm your investment worries, please go to moneyfortherestofushub.com and you can explore what's included in membership and perhaps you would like to join. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast Money for the Rest of Us, please do so via your app. That way each episode can be delivered to you and you don't have to go searching for this, for it. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.